Blog Talk Radio. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Will a strong and united America still be a force for freedom and prosperity around the world? America has created the longest peacetime economic expansion in our history. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Good common sense and sound judgment of the American people and their essential love of justice. Hi, welcome to the Kudzu Vine for July 23rd, 2023. I'm your host, David McLaughlin. Joining me as always, welcome Catherine Smith. Greetings from Atlanta. And welcome Tim Shiflett. Good evening, sir. All right, good to have y'all back and good to be back. We took a little three-week hiatus. I went out of the 50 states to Puerto Rico and then out of the the United States entirely to Italy, and and Tim and Catherine were kind enough to take the vacation from the podcast with me, not the actual trip. But in that time, um, one would think that a lot would change with the Republican primary, um, the GOP presidential primary. And shockingly, I would say very little changed. Um, Catherine, did you see in the past, say, three weeks, any big movement in any way for any of the candidates? Uh, I didn't notice it. Um, To be honest, uh, since we were on hiatus, I was a little bit on hiatus, too, and wasn't paying as close attention as I usually do. But uh, I I didn't see any big changes or, you know, maybe everybody took a hiatus because they knew you weren't around to be watching. (laughs) I don't know about that. I think sometimes the the 4th of (laughs) July holiday is a break uh, for American politics, other than the, you know, the grassroots, like going out and campaigning. But for for news, sometimes that is always a slow point for politics. Um, Tim, did, did you notice any changes um, with all of these Republican candidates um, running for the nomination? Well, uh, you know, Trump is at, according to 538's average, at 50.8%. Now, he stayed right around that range within a couple of points since mid-April. I mean, it's almost like he's got the thing locked up. And in that same span, by the way, DeSantis has lost 16 points. He continued. If, if there's one big change, it's just it's cascading for him and getting worse. He's in. He's out in Utah this weekend, and what he's doing is meeting with some very nervous donors. Uh, and he's had to do still another reset and bring in some new help and get rid of some. Uh, none, none of this looks. None of this looks good. Uh, uh, let, me, let me tell you one more thing, too. In Iowa, Trump has a 30-point lead. In South Carolina, Trump has a 34-point lead, and it's not on DeSantis. DeSantis is not even running second in South Carolina. Nikki Haley is there. I, I, I don't no, know actually, how DeSantis gets this done now, man. 
Now, Tim, there may be more than one poll of South Carolina, and Nikki Haley may be running second, which is even worse news for DeSantis, because I saw a Fox News poll where Tim Scott was running second in South Carolina. He's running, he's running fourth in the brand-new uh, poll out this morning at 10%, and nobody and, else and, and is in, really registering. Yeah, and then in the Fox News poll, though, he was second. So, And, you know, sometimes polls, when you get, you know, a a pretty close margin, they will be kind of flipped at times because they're getting a little bit different sample. But nevertheless, that's showing more candidates, um, you know, outshining DeSantis. One thing I need to be remiss, um, in a few minutes, about now 15 minutes into the podcast, 20 minutes total, um, our guest Simon Rosenberg will come on again. And that's one of the things we're going to ask him about his Republican primary race. Um, now, we did a bunch of buy-sell holds, and there's a lot of interesting things out of that. But one person, I don't know if we did one on, but he really kind of made some news in the way he's fundraising, and that is North Dakota Governor Doug Burkham. And um, Governor Burkham, he apparently is independently wealthy, sold his company, his tech company, for a billion dollars to Microsoft. That probably means he's invested money and probably worth well more than a billion as well. Um, He's running for the nomination. And I guess we need to do a buy-sell-hold since we're going to talk about him. Um, and, and obviously getting the nomination is first and foremost. Catherine, buy-sell-hold, North Dakota Governor Doug Burgum. Oh, boy. Um, I would normally say sell because who's ever heard of him? But with all that <clears throat> money, um, people might start hearing about him. And uh, – I don't really know that much about him, but I'm gonna I'm gonna put a very uh, tentative hold. Yeah, just to uh, see him. Oh, go ahead. Sorry, Catherine. Just to see what happens, you know. Yeah, that's all. Especially with um, with DeSantis faltering, uh, Tim. Yeah, your boss will hold on, Governor Doug. Well, let's see. Looking at these polls, he is sitting squarely at zero point one percent. Let's let let's sell him. He might be Trump's fourth or fifth choice for number two on the ticket. That's about it. Yeah, I, I don't know that that would even happen because he looks like the kind of guy that might actually follow the Constitution, like Mike Pence and Donald Trump will have none of that from his next VP pick. Um, I mean that as a compliment, but of course that would be pejorative for most Republican voters. Um, I'll say this: if you if the Republicans were actually looking for somebody that could be innovative, that could come up with solutions and, and make America a better place, Doug Burgum. Gift probably wouldn't be – what do you say? <laughs> Nothing. I was joking. <laughs> yeah, but but he probably would be you know higher up the list. But – and I think we'll talk about this in a minute um, when we talk about you know maybe DeSantis and Scott. A lot of the Republican primary is owning the lips, and he doesn't seem to be running that kind of campaign. Um, he, he just – He's going to run on his record of North Dakota, and North Dakota is one of those states that they found some oil, and that's helped their economy and brought a lot of people in. They also have the Silicon Prairie, which Doug Burgum is part of, you know, from his tech company. So they've gotten a decent economic profile that probably preceded 
his governorship. Um, and so he'd have that to run on, but I don't think that's the kind of thing that gets any attention in the Republican you know, primary race. So I'm going to sell him as well. Now, let's get to this fundraising scheme he's come up with, and it's to get on the debate stage. You have to have so many, you know, individual different donors. I think it's like 40,000 to get on the debate stage. And so you have to get, all, you know, small dollar donations. Or I guess you could have, you know, people maxing out for you, but odds are that's not where you're going to get it. So, you know, to get on the debate stage. So to do this, he's come up with this scheme. If you donate, I guess, as little as a dollar, he'll send you a $20 gift card. Well, my first thought is, what is this gift card to, like 1-800-Flowers? I mean, is it some obscure no, gift no, card no, that no. good? It's actually a Visa or a MasterCard gift card mm-hmm. that would be used virtually anywhere. So basically, for a $1 donation, you're making $19 off of Governor Doug. It seems a bit unethical to me, Tim. Tim, it sounds like you know even more about it. Yeah, I mean, is it, 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 you know, I understand that most of the GOP hopefuls are desperate to qualify for that first debate. And one of the things that you mentioned, you got to have forty thousand individual donors. And he came up with this, shall we say, unique idea. He doesn't, you know, he's glad to give money away. He's got it to burn. Now, the question is. Is it even legal to give a card like that to someone that donates a dollar? I I don't think so because it's it's illegal to reimburse a donor. You know that just giving money it's, it's illegal to reimburse them, uh, and so he he's really. Um, Towing the line here. You know what? He's not the only one of these guys that's doing something like this. Mayor Suarez. You know, uh, Lionel Messi had his first game the other night with Inter-Miami. Well, if you donated to his campaign, he put you in a raffle to win tickets to that game. Uh, You'll love this one, David. Uh, Perry Johnson. Um. He, if you give him as little as a dollar, you get a T-shirt with a, a, a supportive slogan about Tucker Carlson on it. I know you're sending, you're, you're sending your dollar in now, right? Uh, and, and, and I think my, my favorite is, is Robert Swamy. It's got something he called Vivek's Kitchen Cabinet. What you do here? If you raise money for him, he'll let. It don't matter if you're a private citizen, watch out. But if you raise money for him, he'll let you keep ten percent of it. I kid you not. This is what these guys are doing. It all sounds very unethical, and I'll let y'all discuss the legality of it. Well, and I'll tell you this. Obviously, the the one sounds like work. Um, you know, having to get people to. Donate, you know, give to the sky. You get a percent. I mean, it sounds like they're running some kind of Amway scheme. You know, with the tickets to the, <laughs> you know, Lionel Messi game. Um, that that's a raffle. You might get tickets, 
And then the stupid T-shirts. I mean, T-shirts, tote bags, buttons, <laughs> whatever. That's chum. Uh, but this is – you are making essentially $19 for giving one. I mean, Catherine, I, I, I'll put you on the spot, but you can put me back on the spot with the same thing. Let's dial back to 2020. Let's just name a candidate that didn't do really well but was no – you know, no ethic or no, um, you know, glaring issues like a Robert Kennedy Jr. Let's say John Delaney had this same scheme going. You could give to a Democrat. You could give a buck to John Delaney. He's going to send you back 19. Gives you about 20, actually. So you net 19. I don't even know how many times you can do this. Would this not tempt you a little bit? Oh, no, not me, but. Um... <laughs> Well, but okay. I can see what how it would tempt it someone. Times? It would tempt me, but um, yeah. I just, I, I, I just, I'm curious. Like, if it's not legal, how is he getting away with it? Like, what? I mean, it's not a secret, right? It's all over the place. We all know about it. So, why isn't the um, Whatever the elections can't, you know, whatever that organ, whatever the yeah, FEC, uh, the FEC. Why isn't the FEC all over it? And if it is legal, how is that possible? <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't Obviously, know. if it's if yeah, if it's ruled legal, it's going to be copied. I tell you what, we've got a, a caller on the line. I doubt it's our guest Simon Rosenberg, but we're going to check in. I'll apologize in advance what we possibly might get. Uh, welcome on to the line, caller. Okay, I doubt this is Mr. Rosenberg, so we're going to put this one back up. Apologize for breaking our flow, but it was just a, too close to when he was supposed to call in at 720 to not take a chance. Um, well, let, let's let's get back after it then. So will this work? Like, Tim, do you think this gets him out of donors to where he makes the debate stage, he gets on the debate stage? Well, it, it helps uh, Bergam claims that he's already got his donors to get on the stage, and that's what he was after. He'll worry about the FEC later. And, I mean, what are they going to do to him if they said, oh, that's illegal? Well, he'll probably get a fine. Well, what do you do? These guys have got to get on that debate stage, they think, because how else are they even going to get noticed if they don't make that debate stage, especially if Trump is not there, which he probably won't be? Uh, you know, desperation, uh, you know, make, make some people do some funny things. Look at what all those other guys are doing to get on the debate stage. Um, it. I, I can understand the Republican National Committee wanting them to poll at a certain percent in you know several states, but I do not understand this uh, forty thousand donors things unless they're trying to help Trump out, which is exactly what I think they're trying to do. Um, but, you know, if this is not illegal, I still go back to it certainly is unethical. But that, that just seems to be the order of the day. Now, since Donald Trump come down that escalator, we have been in the political twilight zone in this country. Absolutely. Something like Absolutely. all the time. Yeah, and people not following the laws. 
Um, we even had Alabama legislature. We can't even get into that yet. Uh, so far, hadn't followed the law. So now let's talk about other things here. Um, I saw two articles this morning that were almost back-to-back, and both of them made sense. And it wasn't Tegan Goddard that wrote them. He just reposted them um, and, and found them from totally different sources. But one talked about how the candidate to watch is Tim Scott. And Tim Scott's somebody that he smiles more than he scowls, and he's more of a happy warrior, and he's, his whole campaign's not about owning the lips. And then right either before or after that was an article talking about how the GOP primary in 2024 is all about owning the lips, who can picket Democrats the worst um, to try to get attention. And it seemed like those two messages ran counter to each other. Um, Catherine, can both be true at the same time, or is one right and one's wrong? Um, I, I think both can be true. I think I think there's some some voters who respond well to um, negative, uh, you know, campaigning against the Democrats, but then there's some voters who really want to know at least on a surface uh, tone what the Republicans are going to do for them and what you know what 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 what's good about Republicans versus what's bad about Democrats. Um, but in the last, what, two cycles, I think we've heard more about what's bad about Democrats than we have about what the Republicans, what good the Republicans are going to do. Yeah. Um, Tim, kind of same vein, um, can both of these things be true or is one right and one's wrong? Well, yeah, I think both of them can be true. Uh, Scott Scott's problem is a, is a polling problem, though. I mean, I can't take him seriously until he until he moves out of sixth place in the three percentile range. Uh, we keep waiting for somebody to loosen Donald Trump's death grip on the party. And right now, a uh, guy like Scott or Christy Hutchison, those guys, they're, they're kind of voices crying in the wilderness, aren't they? You know, there, there's truth and then there's reality. And the reality is right now, I just, I, I don't see any way Trump's going to get waylaid, guys. I, I just, I don't see it. You, you, you might have something, I don't. I don't either. I think here's where those where the Scott story comes from. I think Scott has a higher floor than a lot of these candidates, but he has a lower ceiling than certainly Donald Trump. Um, so therefore, he's not going to win the nomination. I do think there is a a part of the party that knows that a happier, more conciliatory face would be helpful to them. That that's one thing that hurts them in a lot of these elections. I think two. Um, there is a percentage of the party that are not racist that know that they need to diversify because it's, A, the right thing to do, and, B, the country's diversifying. And so I think some voters there might be, you know, um, gravitate towards Scott a little bit there. But now I will say this. A lot of senators, they have a signature piece of legislation or two that are issue they can talk about. I really don't know that with uh, Tim Scott. I watched the 10-minute interview 
he did on the Daily Show with Trevor Noah. He came along, across as very affable. Um, he, he and um, Trevor Noah had a very nice conversation, not contentious at all, but I didn't get a real sense of Tim Scott's this candidate's going to move on this issue, whether I agreed with him or not. I, I didn't get that sense that he had this legislative um, issue and acumen that he championed. Now, Tim, you mm-hmm. mentioned Chris Christie. I also mm-hmm. saw at the beginning of our hiatus how Chris Christie's actually starting to really get traction in New Hampshire. Um, mm-hmm. Do you think that will continue to pick up and he might be a bit of a factor in at least New Hampshire? And if so, could that spark into other states? He he could run well enough maybe to pull into third place in New Hampshire, might might keep him in the race for a little while, but let let's be honest. We we know why Chris Christie is in the race and it's not to win the Republican nomination. He 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 knows he's not gonna win it. What he wants to do is somehow, some way end Donald Trump. That that is his goal in life right now is to wrest that party away from Donald Trump in favor of, I don't know, almost anybody. He is driven by it, and that's what that's, that's, that's why he's there. The problem is with these low poll numbers, guys, I don't know how long these people can stay there. You still got to have money and a staff to run a presidential campaign and a lot of it. So, yeah, and therefore narrow casting on one state like New Hampshire might be a decent strategy for him. Well, I want to welcome into the Cousin Fund for the second time, and the first time was so outstanding. We couldn't wait to get him back, but we did, and we used this as our return to the air after our three summer break. Welcome back to the Cousin Fund, Mr. Simon Rosenberg. It's great to be here. Thanks for the opportunity, everybody. Yes. Well, last time we had you on, you were uh, with uh, your organization that you've been with a long time, uh, New Democratic Network, NDN. And since then, you've left and you started a whole new venture. Tell our listeners what you've been up to. Yeah, I mean, I, in part driven by um, all the people that I met during the last year of the work I've been doing, the commentary I've been doing, I became very um, inspired by how what I've seen all across the country is hundreds of thousands of people who going to work every day, making sure their democracy doesn't slip away. And it's the reason all these engaged citizens, um, the reason why our campaigns have raised so much money and why, uh, you know, we have the largest volunteer base that we've ever had as a Democratic Party. And it's helping us perform at the upper, upper end of what's possible. And I decided that I really wanted to take the work that I've been doing, which is really geared towards 500 or 1,000 people in Washington, and really open it up more to the public and to political activists around the country. And so I jumped, um, I, my organization, which was had been a great platform for me for a long time, felt a little bit like I had needed a new set of clothes, you know what I mean? And I built this thing called Hopium Chronicles on Substack. Substack's a powerful new media platform. I already have tens of thousands of people engaged. It's been a lot of fun. And I'm I think I'm doing good work and hopefully adding a little bit of value to the daily discourse in the country. 
Yes, um, and I, that's why I didn't call it like a blog or a newsletter because it seems like you've used it for so much more. Um, I, I liken it to those little capsules that you um, that has the dinosaur on the package. It's this tiny little capsule. You throw it in water, and it just expands uh, so big once the <laughs> capsule dissolves. It, it really did look like you went from no substack to this substack with, you know, like I said, tens of thousands with podcasts, with articles, with interviews. I mean, it's like a substack on steroids. Tell us, you know, kind of how did this growth happen so quickly? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I became convinced, you know, part of my whole analysis about our politics is that those of us on the Democratic side need to get louder. Um, you know, the other side has a loudness advantage over us with Fox News and talk radio and all the things they have. They still have more power to push us around in the daily debate in the country. And that we need, there's an urgency about us getting louder. And I decided that the organization that I was running was not a loud organization. It was sort of like a private club that reached, you know, just elites in Washington. And so I needed to, you know, um, do what I was telling others to do myself. And so I looked around for months at sort of what the right way I could do it. And I found, I settled on this new platform called Substack, which I think is going to be a powerful part of how we do our politics over the next five to 10 years. It won't be the only part. I mean, we still are going to be on Facebook and radio shows like this, all the ways that we all communicate, right? But I think Substack is going to become an increasingly powerful place because it's so easy to use and it's, as you pointed out, it's multimedia. You can do video, podcasts, and writing. You can do everything on there. You know, and they're going to be adding a live event capacity pretty soon, where you'll be able to stream like on YouTube. And so it's it's a very powerful new tool for all of us to talk to each other to get our message out. And I've been really pleased. I mean, one of the things I love about it is that, you know, if you become a paid member, there is a lot of um, discussion. The discussion. Uh, sections are really well developed and very thoughtfully designed. And so I learn a lot from people that I, I engage with every day. It's what I, you know, I, listen, one of the best things about Twitter for me was always that I learned so much from other people who I engaged with, right? You know, we're in it like you guys, right? We're in it, mixing it up with folks and you hear, you get feedback, you learn things. I'm learning so much um, in this community that we're building. And so I hope your listeners will check it out. It's free, you know, subscribing is free. I produce, you know, almost five days a week during the summer. It's going to be a little bit less, but, um, you know, I produce a lot of content. And even just this week, we have two events just this week coming up. So it, it's a busy place, and it, if you need a, both um, a dose of hopium, some optimism, and so an upbeat analysis of our politics and also very fact-based, you know, that's what you get when you come to our, our place. Well, Simon, I just want to make a comment. If this is your summer slowdown, what I've seen the last – a uh, few weeks, then I'm going to need to buy some bookmarks for after Labor Day just to keep up. I know. I, I'm supposed, I, I thank you for saying that. I just, I'm enjoying this platform so much. I'm enjoying writing every day. I haven't done this in so long. And it's just been, it's been a lot of fun. I'm having a good time. So thank you. By the way, thank you for, I promised everybody I was going to slow down, and I, it hasn't happened yet, but it's, uh, because there's just been so much going on, right? I mean, it's actually been a pretty busy summer. I didn't expect it to be, but it's been a pretty busy summer politically. You're absolutely right. Well, of course, I get this person that's known for being the expert of sharing the good news about Democrats. And the first thing I'm going to ask you about 
is the Republican primary. The GOP Republican <laughs> yep. primary, so many candidates. It's like a battle royal and pro wrestling. They're all in there, and we thought it might be a competition, and thus far it doesn't seem to be. Um, what's your take on campaign 2024 for the GOP? Yeah, I, I've been a little surprised, frankly, at how well Trump's doing. I mean, I, if I had to forecast or to look forward, you know, back in January, February, I, I would have thought he'd be in a strong position, but not as strong a position he's in now. I mean, he's, you know, he's really, he's over 50% in most polls, you know, and DeSantis, who a few months ago everybody, everybody believed had a shot to really challenge him, is really fading, I mean, really rapidly. I mean, it's, it's, he's like uh, the air is coming out of the balloon. I don't even, you know, there was a new poll out today that Fox did, and DeSantis is, um, you know, not even, is, is way behind uh, Trump in Iowa and New Hampshire. And one of the arguments that DeSantis has been making for the last few months is that he was going to do very well in Iowa, and, you know, he would beat Trump in Iowa, and that would be the way, and he's, you know, losing by 30 points in Iowa. So, you know, Trump's in a very commanding position in the Republican primary, but with overall voters, he's not. And I think that, you know, for your listeners, one thing to think about is, you know, do we really think that Donald Trump is going to pick up a single new vote from 2020? And if he only got 47% of the vote, you know, it's, to me, it's much more likely that he gets 45% in 2024 than 49 or 50%, because I think there will be continued erosion. I think for the overall electorate, you know, they've seen MAGA, they don't like it, they want something else. And so I think his, he's solidifying his hold on the Republican primary but if you looked at national polls, and I put a piece out on this on Friday, you know, Biden is now opening up a lead. I mean, I think it's a lead. I think it's now two, three, four points. There's been movement in the race towards Biden. And I think that, and we know that Trump is likely to get indicted, you know, essentially for betraying the country in the next few days. And so my view is that Democrats have had a very good summer. Republicans have had a very bad summer. And that as we look ahead to 2024, I'd much rather be us than them. Well, let me ask you one more question about this. Then I'll pass it to Catherine and Tim, who yes. may get back to the, the, the left side of the aisle, the blue team. But if, you know, somebody said, look, Simon, if you'll tell us the truth, we can cure cancer, or they wrapped you in Wonder Woman's lasso of truth. If somebody made you <laughs> tell, what would be the Republican that could do the best job as far as, like, winning, uh, that was, the you know, the candidate you fear most as a Democrat, that could actually get them over the finish line to a, at least an electoral college victory. Who do you think that would be for the Republicans? I don't know if they have anybody who can beat us right now. And, and I, I think the person I was most scared of was DeSantis before his legislative session, where from March to May, he moved very far to the right and became, you know, a malevolent extremist. I, I was worried about DeSantis because he had had such a strong victory in Florida he was going to raise a lot of money, um, but you know he decided, I think, wrongly and naively, uh, to move to the right and push himself into a place where he's not. I don't think he's really a serious candidate any longer. I don't know that any of these Republicans. I don't. You know, think about the political, the athleticism that's going to be required to defeat Trump and then pull the Republican Party together on the other end. I don't know that there's any one of these candidates have the political skills and dexterity to pull that off. What is interesting is that Tim Scott is starting 
to gain ground in Iowa and New Hampshire. Um, I think he's too far right. I think he's positioned himself too far right for the general election in the battleground states. But I think sort of the new kid who's showing a little bit of, you know, signs of life is Tim Scott. And, and we'll see how that goes. I mean, I think if somehow the Republicans elected an, an African-American conservative, it would be, you know, that would be an unusual thing for us. Could he bring the whole Republican Party together? I still think he's going to struggle to bring along more moderate Democrats because he is very far to the right on the Republican, on the Republican side. So I think the problem they have is that I don't know that Trump is strong enough to bring along the never Trump or Liz Cheney wing of the party. And if anyone like Chris Christie or who's not a MAGA candidate wins, I don't know that they're going to be able to bring along MAGA. And so I just don't know if there is a politician out there that can bring the Republican coalition together and, and make them competitive. I, I just don't see it. It could happen, but I don't see it today. Yeah. Well, very insightful analysis. I'm now going to pass it to Catherine. who will pass it to Tim. Catherine? Thank you. Thanks so much for being on the show tonight. We really appreciate it. Um, it's a great way to come back from our little hiatus. Um, I want to <laughs> ask you a a more general question about the Republican Party. I I feel like, um, I just feel like they don't take politics seriously, or they don't take governing seriously. I should be more careful about that. Yes. Um, And I wonder if there's any, I mean, honestly, I mean, people say this a lot, but I just look at them and I think there's no, there's no future for this kind of politics in the long term, like, how can they, are they going to be able to even hold on to their party in the situation that it's in? And what will happen, what do they have to do to bring their party back together and take governing seriously and take, I mean, I don't even think people take, a lot of people take them seriously. So, yeah, like, it's a great, what it's is a the, great question. What is the status of the Republican Party going forward? Listen, I mean, my hope is that Democrats win this next election by eight to ten points, and it's a clear a signal is sent by the country uh, to repudiate this kind of extremism in the Republican Party and that it will embolden Liz Cheney and the more traditional Republicans to try to yank their party back and take it back from the extremists that have taken it over. I, I think that's my hope. I mean, that's why I think Democrats this election – have to really try to not just win, but to go big. I mean, we just upset the Republicans in Colorado Springs and in Jacksonville, Florida, two very Republican cities. We won the Supreme Court race by 56% in, uh, in, in, in March. You know, we, in 2022, we won in Colorado by 59, in Pennsylvania by 57, 55, in Michigan. I mean, we are seeing incredible performance by the Democrats um, you know, in the battleground states, not necessarily in red areas, but in the battleground states and blue areas. And so my hope is we go big and we can start to loosen MAGA's dark grip on the Republican Party. I think the second thing, though, is that the DeSantis, the mess DeSantis is making in Florida is going to speak exactly to what you're talking about, which is that their extremism is preventing them from governing well. I mean, they have an incredible insurance crisis now that's been created through bad policy. Um, you know, the immigration law they passed there is causing businesses to close. He's attacking 
you know, businesses like Disney and Disney pulled out, conventions are being canceled all across the state. I mean, he's like a wrecking ball in Florida. And I think we're going to be able to point to, you know, to, to what he's done in Florida and say, if you elect Republicans in 2024, this is what you're going to get, right? Books getting banned in schools. I mean, all, you know, the sort of the, the anger and the fighting. I don't think what people want is we just finished with COVID. We just went, had a national, you know, trauma. And I think people just want to get back to their lives. And there's just no appetite for the kind of anger, antipathy, malevolence that DeSantis is representing, even in the Republican Party, right? I mean, his numbers are collapsing in the Republican Party because we don't want perpetual warfare in this country. And, and I think we all just want to get back to a day when, you know, Democrats and Republicans are debating, but if, you know, it, we weren't at a point where if Democrats stumbled, you know, our democracy could slip away. So I think, I think that I'm, I'm, I think we're going to have a lot of tools to make very powerful cases against them and to give them a window into what, you know, real conservative government looks like. You look at it in Florida, it's scary stuff, and it's not hypothetical. This is real, right? So I, I think DeSantis is going to be – look, Trump is going to be an anchor around every Republican's, you know, uh, uh, leg next year. So I think so is DeSantis' Florida. I think they're going to have two things that are going to pull their brand down and continue to degrade their brand all next year, which is why I'm hopeful that, you know, we can go big and try to win this election, not by a few points, but by an awful lot. I think that's, I absolutely agree with you. And I, I mean, I, I'm a lifelong Democrat. I've only voted for a Republican once in my life. I come from a family of long-term Democrats. And, but I still want Republicans to be, um, I think we need the the back and forth in order to govern well. But we're not getting back and forth now. We're getting, you know, like here in Georgia, we've got, you know, the worst governor in my life. Um, and so I'm sort of I sort of mourn the old Republican Party in some ways. Yeah. Where you know where they battled during the day and you know, work, but work towards governing instead of just owning the libs or, you know, that whole. Or try, trying to get on Fox News, right? I mean, their whole politics now is performative. It's, it's, governing is very secondary. It's about getting on Fox, building your list, raising money, yeah. right? You know, and all that stuff. It's performative. It's like, you know, look, it's interesting, right? We, the Republicans have had a TV star and, a, and a, an actor, you know, a reality TV star and an actor were, have been their presidents over the last 40 years. And there is this element that Fox has created where, you know, you think if you can say something on the floor, you know, that hot moment gets on Fox and, you know, millions of people see you. And so everyone is vying every day in the Republican Party to get on Fox and to get on other right-wing, you know, media. And I think it's, I think it's been a major reason why the Republican Party's lost its way because they don't actually care about governing. They, get, they care about getting on TV. And, and getting on TV is not the same as governing, and sometimes they're actually in opposition to one another. Right? Right, and so exactly. I, I, think, look, I, think, I think what we all want, I want to I repeat what you said, what we all want is for a center-right political party in America, not MAGA, and not you know, the, the Republican Party, the party of Lincoln and Reagan, has been overtaken by extremists, if we have a big election and win this election by eight to ten points, 
it's not just going to be good for Democrats in the country. It's going to be good for the Republican Party, I think, you know, and which is that it can start to shake this sort of pull towards extremism that is taking, you know, even, you know, that as, you know, even decent, formerly decent Republicans have now, you know, kind of caught the MAGA virus, right? And so we've got a lot of work to do. This is a serious matter, and it's why the work you guys are doing, the kind of help and education you're bringing to your community, all of us, we have a lot of work to do here, and the stakes are very high because this is not a traditional political party, right? I mean, Trump tried to overturn the election in 2021. It's the greatest crime you can, political crime you can commit in a democracy. And, you know, he's at 55% in the Republican primary, and it's like no biggie, right? Like, hey, no biggie, no big deal, right? This guy, you know, was caught for, has been indicted and was found guilty of sexual assault. He's about to, you know, he's been indicted for stealing America's secrets. We know that he helped try to overturn an election here. And he's still the leader of the Republican Party. And the fact that the Republicans right. have been unable to sort of take him on, you know, the only people that have been that have beaten Trump have been us, not been Republicans. And right. so, exactly. you know, they, they're, yeah, so, you know, we need the, you know, it's why, we all have to give Liz Cheney and Bill Crystal and all these never Trumper Republicans. We have to give them a lot of credit for the courage they've had to try to fight and take on this. The you know what is they see the flipping of their party into some form of madness. But I do think that voters now that this has been going on for years and it's not just Trump and it's other people like DeSantis. I think people are like, they're t- I think you said earlier they're just tired of this. It's just crazy, right? Like, come on. <laughs> Stop it, right? And I and so it's why I think that there this act, this MAGA act, is wearing thin on the country. I really believe that. I hope so. And now I have one sort of silly question to ask you. Yeah. Before yeah. the before before you came on, we were talking about this scheme that uh, this burger guy has, where he's like giving a twenty dollar gift card oh, to everyone. Ridiculous. Is is it against the law? It should be. I mean, I, I don't know, but it 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 it's clearly, you know. First of all, we know that the FEC, the Federal Election Commission, can never really go after anybody, right? But it it should not be legal. It's it's an unbelievable, and and the Republican Party should have outlawed it. I mean, they weren't smart enough to have anticipated this kind of manipulation. And he's not the only one. There's two candidates that have given, you know, paid, basically paid people for their money, right? And, yeah, it's ridiculous. It's, look, I just think that in, every, in so many ways, the Republican Party, I, I, I often say that the book I want to write about the Republican Party that I'm never going to get around to writing is called The Absence of Virtue, right? Is that it's like they've lost any connection to virtue, and and it's for a party that claims to be Christian, you know, so connected to Christian values, sort of the departure from virtue is such it's such a it's a jarring thing. So even something like that is a symptom of their the distance they have now with things that we would consider to be in the old days virtuous behavior. That's a that sounds like a good book. <laughs> it's a book. I'm, it's the book I'm never going to write. <laughs> I don't want to spend. I don't want to spend a year and a half thinking about them. But if I were to write a book about them, it would be called The Absence of Virtue. That's my. But well, you can write it. I'll, I'll give it to you. 
I'm going to pass it over to Tim. Thanks so much. Hey, sure, ahead, thank Tim. you. Yeah, good evening, Mr. Rosenberg. Thank you for being with us again tonight. I want yeah. to take a little stroll out to the fringe. Um, three people in particular here. I'm, I'm, if, if I am worried about anyone in this presidential election year, it, it, it's Cornell West. I'm worried about him doing the same thing that Jill Stein did in 2016. Uh, should yeah. I be concerned? I think we have to keep an eye on all these kind of rogue candidates, if you want to call them. I don't think we really have a good name for it. I mean, the fact that Jill Stein is actually running Cornell West campaign is a bad sign. And we also know that this mm-hmm. no labels fiasco, you know, which I think depending on who the candidate is for them could end up drawing more from Republicans than Democrats. But I, I think all, my response to all these things, Robert Kennedy Jr., is that we just, as Democrats, the answer to all of them is the same, which is we have to build up Joe Biden. The stronger Joe Biden is, the more that he wins by, the less likely that any of these things will matter. And so, you know, we have to amplify and spread the good news about his presidency. He's been a very good president. This summer, thing, you know, his case for re-election has gotten much stronger. The economy is strong. Inflation's down. The deficit's down. The border, the flow to the border has evaporated. Crime is down in the United States. You know, we produce more oil this year than any year in American history. I mean, many of the central attacks that Republicans have been making against him have evaporated. You know, I joke that, you know, Democrats have had a really good summer, but Republican talking points have had a really bad summer. And, and so I think that number one is that we have to build up Joe Biden. And number two, we, we also have to be aggressive about challenging their BS and not looking the other way. I, I think that there have been mistakes sometimes where we didn't want to engage his can Look what's happened with Robert Kennedy, right? The more that people engage him, the more that he self-destructs. And I think the mm-hmm. same is true. If you watch Cornell West's performance on CNN, it's, he's not, he is not, I think he's going to struggle in this election. He's pro-Russia. He has some extreme views. He comes off as like kind of an old nutty professor, which I think there's just limits to that. And I think many Democrats know what it's like to throw their vote away. And I think that in this election, given the stakes of this election, I just think it's going to be very difficult for any of these third parties to to get, you know, to. I think they're all going to end up with less vote than they hope, because I think mm-hmm. that people understand the, gra- the gravity of this election, and, and they're going to be very hesitant to throw their vote away. And we will be mm-hmm. able to make a very powerful case this time about throwing votes away, because it happened in 2000, it happened in 2016, and we now know this. I mean, the only, you know, Republicans can't win elections. They can't get a popular vote. The only way they win is through these third-party efforts. And so I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm optimistic. My bottom line on everything right now is that Joe Biden's been a good president. The country's better off. He's going to have a very powerful case for re-election. The Republicans are just too crazy for too many people. And so I feel good about where we are, but things are going to change, right? Like the left policy mm-hmm. change. Six months from now, we're going to be in a different place. But today I feel really good about where we are. And, yeah. you know, I think the, Repu- the Republican thing looks uglier and uglier every day that goes on. Yeah, you mentioned both Bobby Kennedy or, or RFK Jr. and Joe Manchin. So I'm going to skip them and go to this question. 
Try as I might, I cannot find a route for the Democrats to hold the U.S. Senate next year. (laughs) Do, Do you see a way they can do it? It's a great question, and, you know, we're going to have to get a little lucky, right? I mean, uh-huh. the, Republicans got a, the Republicans got lucky and went in the House this last time. They got a few balls bounced in the right direction for them. I think the likely scenario in this election today is that we win the presidency, the House flips the Democrat, and the Senate is up for grabs. I mean, the challenge we're going to have, we could, you know, we're almost certainly going to lose West Virginia, and yeah. so uh, that, that puts us at – you know, at, at uh, you know, things being even, right? And um, we, I think we've got a very good shot at keeping Montana and Ohio because of just the quality of Sherrod Brown and John Tester. Um, you know, but that means we have to win everywhere uh, you know, else. Yeah, you it know, we have you to know, win everywhere else. You know. Yeah, you know, you know, I wanna, I, I wanna go with you on Ohio, but that's what scares me. I mean, look who got elected there last year, and we ran an outstanding candidate. You he know, did. against he did. him, and and I just don't see how in a presidential election year, if Donald Trump wins Ohio by nine points again, I don't see how Sherrod Brown well, holds on. I, I hope, I hope I'm wrong. Yeah. Yeah, no, and, and listen, we don't know, but let me tell you two things about Ohio. There, there's a big wild card in Ohio this time, which is this abortion initiative that is is potentially going, you know, there's a vote in, in, in August, and then there's another vote uh, in November. And it's energizing. The Democrats are organizing, spending money, doing work in Ohio that we haven't done in a long time. And I think that, you know, this abortion issue, as we saw in Kansas, you know, and we saw it in, in other states in, in the battleground, is a very powerful issue for us. And it breaks up their – in some states, it could break their coalition apart and, and weaken them, right? And so I think there's a wild card there. And then the second thing is, you know, there, has, there was just a poll done in Ohio, and Trump was only up over Biden, you know, by like five points in the poll. So, uh-huh. you know, it, you're, to your point, if we lose by 10 – you know, Sherrod would have to be Superman, right, to to win there, Sherrod Brown. But, you know, if it's in mid-single digits, he's got a shot. I talked to a guy who's working on all the Senate races, and he said, you know, we feel pretty good on Friday. And he said, we feel good about where we are in Montana and Ohio. It's going to be hard, but we're not down there. You know, Virginia, West Virginia mm-hmm. is going to be a little bit different. So it just means that we have no margin of error. If West Virginia goes and we got to win everywhere else and win the presidency, or it's gone. And, and that just means that, you know, it's very astute of you to raise this because I don't get asked about this very much. The, the Senate map's hard this time. But, mm-hmm. you know, we've got a, we got a shot. we got a shot at keeping it, and we just got to put our head down and do the work and do the best All we can. Right. Well, I certainly appreciate your candor on that subject. And with that, I'm going <laughs> to send it back to David. David? Yes, well, uh, Mr. Rosenberg, we thank you so much for coming on and just such outstanding information on the Hopium Chronicles. Before you leave, share with our listeners again how they can get that and if there's any other places you want them to access your content. Yeah, I mean, I, the best place to get to is where I hang out, right? My, my main hangout place is you just go to Google and search in Simon Rosenberg and Hopium Chronicles and Substack will 
pop up. Many of you may not have been to Substack. It's a pretty new platform, but it's being used by some of the most significant commentators in the country right now. Traffic is growing, and it's because it allows you to have a direct relationship with whoever you follow. I mean, you get you don't follow. You know, you when you follow me and subscribe to me, you get content that I send you. There's nobody in between us, and that's why writers and commentators like the platform so much is that we have incredible control um, of, you know, all the lists and everyone who subscribes, those are my lists. It's not somebody else's lists, right? Not like social media. It's very different. This is a very creator friendly platform and it's, and, um, and it's, so it's been low, it's been wonderful for me and I've really enjoyed it. I haven't written every day in a long time and I've really, I've actually gotten really attached to it and, and feel, you know, I wrote every day on Twitter. That's different than writing, you know, more formal English and, and really communicating. And I, and I do have, I mean, one of the interesting things about Substack is that, and I learned this, is that many of the people who are on Substack today are people who like to read. They're readers, you know, they're, and, um, and they like it more than the live events and the video and so on. And so it's been a joy for me as uh, to write every day the way that I have. And I think we're producing great content. And there's also wonderful events. I mean, I've got David Pepper, the former party chair of Ohio, who's coming on Thursday live at 1 o'clock to do an update on the Ohio uh, ballot initiative and talk about his new book called Saving Democracy. I strongly recommend you get David on um, if you need contact with him, I can get you connected. But, you know, David, David's coming on Thursday. I'm doing a political briefing Friday, Tuesday night at 8 o'clock, open to everybody. It's free, you know, where I'm going to go through and do my election analysis and take questions for 45 minutes. So you get high-quality events with thought leaders and interesting people, and you get all sorts of Simon uh, every, every day. Uh, and, you know, if you like Simon, you get lots of me. And if you get sick of me, then you can unsubscribe and move on. But it's, uh, it's been a wonderful platform, and I've really enjoyed it. Well, I, for one, won't be moving on. I will actually get in touch with you because we'd love to have David Pepper on about his book about Ohio. Uh, that'd be awesome, but I'll do that off air. Um, but we want to thank you again for coming on, and hopefully you'll keep writing great stuff and, down the road, we can get you back to talk about all the new things and maybe even some things we couldn't get to tonight. Well, I appreciate it. And just remember, everybody, we're having a good summer. They're not. You know, uh, I feel good about where we are. We need to be upbeat. we got to take the wins when they come, right? That's really important for all of us. When things are going well, you got to acknowledge it. Things are going well for us right now. Biden's in stronger shape. Polls are starting to move our way a little bit. So I – I feel good, but, you know, we got a lot of work ahead of us and uh, 16 months away and we got to put our head down and do the work. But I think, you know, today I'd much rather be up than them. And I appreciate the time with the three of you tonight. And certainly just let, I'll be happy to come back in the fall. Sure. Thank thanks. you, well, sir. Thanks again and great. Thank keep you up so the great much. work. Okay. Thanks, everybody. Yes. Uh, that was Simon Rosenberg of the Hopium Chronicles. Um, you know, one thing I, I just respect so much about Simon is anybody can be optimistic, but he's optimistic with facts. He says, that he's, you know, through the time in the 2022 election when I was sharing so much content he was putting on Twitter with y'all, it was, I feel good because, and then he would bullet point all these positive things, and that's just what he keeps doing. 
Um, I'm sure as the subset grows, he may start even pointing out some things. Like he was very realistic about West Virginia was tonight. So he's not always, you know, um, you know, optimistic when you can't be. There are situations. But uh, Hopium Chronicles cannot recommend it enough. With the last um, bit of the show tonight, Tim, you brought to our attention a story in Michigan. I'm going to let you lay that out real quick. And, of course, Catherine may be infinitely familiar with it, too, because it's Michigan. So, I'm probably not, well, go ahead. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the um, state prosecutors up in Michigan uh, hit the 16 fake electors that they had in 2020 up there with uh, – Eight felony counts. Um, the Attorney General of Michigan, uh, Dana Nessel, announced it the other day, and it's pretty serious stuff. We got uh, two forgery counts with one conspiracy to commit two election law forgery counts with one conspiracy, and a counterfeit record with one conspiracy. You know, Michigan is one of the seven states that produce these fake electors, and uh, they also say that Jack Smith is looking at, at this in Michigan as as well. So uh, this this was some big news this week when when it was announced, and it it was a shot across the bow, and it it created something of a political earthquake in your home state, Catherine. Yeah. Catherine, I'm you're sorry, quite familiar I got with discon- that area. Yeah. I'm, I got well, disconnected, I got so I missed the whole intro. Oh, okay. Well, it was just the, this fake elector business, and, of course, we've had it in other states, but they actually sunk some teeth into it. Uh, Catherine, I would think that this, the reason they might have been able to do this is because elections went so well for the Democrats in 2022, they have electoral power across the state to actually hold these uh, folks accountable. What do you think? I absolutely agree with that. That's uh, that's another one of the advantages of winning is that you have uh, influence and muscle behind your uh, behind you. So uh, yeah, that's absolutely true. Where did it happen? I'm sorry, I missed that. What part of the state? Well, this this was statewide. This was the 16 okay. fake electors. That okay. that that sent in, you know, the the certificates for Trump, which right. was stupid because Biden won that state by like a hundred and fifty four thousand votes. What were they? Th- what's wrong with the Republican Party up there, Catherine? Or should I even bother to ask? <laughs> Don't ask me because I had never had anything to do with the Republican Party in Michigan ever. <laughs> well, wait, but here's the thing. When you start thinking, oh, yeah, he won Arizona because that was a close state, and he won Georgia, and then he won the next closest state, you know, whatever it is. And they just keep going until in their minds they can believe that Trump won the District of Columbia. You know, <laughs> uh, he won Hawaii. He won California. and he won whatever state because they just – and that's why he's leading the primary because in their mind. He won the popular vote in 2016. He won the popular vote in the um, Electoral College in 2020. So, you know, why would they not go with him? You know, because 
he was wrong, and, and that's where all this just nonsense comes from. Well, once again, I want to thank Simon Rosenberg for coming on the show. It is so great to be back and talking politics. And next week, part of my travels actually helped us find the guest. Um, Airlie Ping is going to be our guest. She is actually from the New England states, uh, born and raised in Maine, and then went to college in New Hampshire. She can talk about those states. She may be able to talk about some other stuff. But I actually had a conversation in person with Early, and she is incredibly politically versed. Uh, that conversation led to me saying, hey, won't you be a guest on our show? And, and um, so Tim and Catherine, you'll get to meet her audio-wise next week, and I'm getting excited about having somebody from those states that we've really never been able to discuss because we've never had an expert from them. So until next week, been the Cozy Vine. Good night, y'all. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Will a strong and united America still be a force for freedom and prosperity around the world? America has created the longest peacetime economic expansion in our history. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Good common sense and sound judgment of the American people and their essential love of justice. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.